as leaders, how do we help bring out everyone's voices and how do we value the differences and come up with solutions that work for everyone? You know, this is really going to be an equity and diversity conversation here with Mary Sullivan, who is an executive leader in the financial services industry with over 30 years experience working on these kinds of topics. And she's also the host of the Sweet But Fearless podcast because we can be sweet even as we're fearless leaders. Join us to find out more. On this beautiful journey. So Well, hello and welcome everyone to another episode of Soul Nectar Show, that show where we talk about all things essence, where we gather around the campfire together and we share our stories of connection to that which is greater than us, the big mystery beyond the veil to those synchronistic moments that lead us inexorably towards a deeper understanding of ourselves and others. And I'm your host, Carrie Hummingbird. And I love having these conversations week after week and talking with industry experts and, and bringing in our own earned wisdom through life experience and Today is no different than that. Um, really, on my heart today is talking about how we as women can really honor the wisdom that we have in our bones, in our life experience. And we may not have like a report with reams of data to prove it, but we know what we know, like we know, and we can tap into that knowing and we can be in support to what? To bring out the best in others and to shift the paradigm from this cookie cutter, like there's only one way to be the right way and you got to fit into this mold to no, there's like a spectrum of different ways to be and we can value the differences and we can appreciate that. And we can be that voice that says, Hey, this person has something to say that's valuable and support that. So we're going to have a great conversation today with the host of the sweet, but fearless podcast, Mary Sullivan. Welcome to the show, Mary. Thank you, Carrie. And thank you to all the Soul Nectar audience. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm so glad you're here. I had an interview on the Sweep of Fearless podcast with Mary, and I really enjoyed her company. So I invited her to come over here and have a conversation too. You know, Mary is an executive leader in the financial services industry with over 30 years of experience. And she began her career after completing her master's in Spanish and an undergraduate in political science. And she's held lots and lots of leadership positions throughout her career around the globe and with many different um, types of people, even like bilingual call center teams, it's just had so much experience, but her passion really is helping women and other underrepresented groups to be an advocate for them so that they are all, all their voices are heard. Everyone's voice is heard. And, and the Sweet and Fearless podcast is all about that. It's about being fearless, taking risks, holding yourself and others accountable to be their best as well. So I'm really glad that you're here. And I know my audience would love to hear more about your story of falling into your path of greatest service. Mary, tell us more. Well, How did you get you started? And yeah. You know, I started, when you think about, you know, you were reading uh, some of my bio and I appreciate that because, you know, my parents helped me a lot with my education and providing a very great foundation for me. And then, of course, it was my job to take it forward, probably like many of us. And what I received from that benefit of that great education was many things. But the number one thing was opening that door of curiosity. And that started from a very early age when 
I was five or six, my parents were civil rights advocates. And my father was an optometrist. My mother was a nurse. And we were living in New Mexico at the time. And they were asked by their church to move to Kansas City, Missouri during the early 60s and really focus on kind of counteracting that white flight that was going on, where a lot of families, especially white families, were leaving the city and moving to the suburbs. And what we decided to do as a family was to move into the city and be part of the community that we so loved and respected. So from an early age, my parents were teaching me to be curious, to welcome others, to listen first, right? Talk second, to learn and to be open. And from doing that, they also even then put me into a all-Black school in order for me to learn even more. And it wasn't so I could just show that, you know, everybody could get along. I think we all know that we can, but it was more than that, Harry. It was deeper. It was also showing that in order for us to move forward, right, as a country, in order for us to move forward as a society that respects each other, we have to know about each other. We have to be curious. We have to learn and we have to appreciate the differences. And that's what that foundation really set me up for. I mean, I was at the grade school for eight years, phenomenal years, then moved on to a different high school, of course, and then, you know, further education. But those lessons stayed with me and have helped me through my career and then starting my own business forever, right? They'll never go away. They'll never go away because I learned them at such a young age. But even though you're learning things at a young age, you don't always know you're learning the lesson, right? You just think you're living, right? You're just enjoying your youth. Or not, right? But I was enjoying mine. But I did learn quickly as I progressed to high school that they were also teaching me lessons. Because as I then pivoted to an all-white high school or majority white, I learned quickly that the outcasts were decided by the majority. Like the majority were the ones deciding who was going to be in and who was going to be out. And if you were on the minority side, then you were left out if you didn't have someone advocating for you and lifting up your voice. That continued on even to my career in the financial services, being usually the only woman at the table, you learned quickly that if you didn't have someone advocating for you, then your voice was not heard as much. So again, going back to my youth and grade school, those lessons stayed with me throughout and it made me into the woman I was and am today. I love that you had that early experience and that you were able to get that early imprint that everyone is unique and and their voice needs to be heard and and standing in that justiceness of that you know like every voice is important as a leader what you're saying is so true and I feel like one of the things that I noticed on my own journey of empowerment is that I wanted people to respect me but I realized I had to respect myself first. And isn't that a big part of the journey too? Like if we're not being heard around the board table, if we're not being heard in the team meeting, if we're not being heard in our in our friendship circle or wherever we're at, there's like a part of that that's an inside job beyond having the advocate, right? You know, Carrie, is, is I always coach, always I'm coaching, right? Whether I was coaching in uh, corporate America, coaching on the pickleball court, coaching in life, whatever it is, I'm coaching because I'm that's just part of my personality is I think I can help you and, and you want that help. And I want to share, you know, my knowledge with you. And I do that by asking questions, pulling things out, helping you come to the solution, the typical coaching philosophy. But one thing I learned through all of that is if you don't reflect, but just what you're saying, I call it the RX3 methodology. And we use that in our teaching as well. If you don't first reflect on you, your strengths, your interests, your needs, and really spend some time getting to know you, 
And it's really hard to help someone else or to be the best for someone else or to even showcase them at the table because you yourself haven't built that credibility in order for others to say, oh, wow, Mary is sponsoring so-and-so. Let's listen to that. Let's listen to her. You have to create that credibility for yourself so that you then can set that table for others. And that starts with that reflection. After the reflection, I then say, well, then you go into the research, right? Then you go into really researching that data. In the intro, you spoke about, we don't always have the data that we need, right? We have our gut feeling. Sometimes we have the data and our gut. And I say, lead with that data or lead with the gut and then follow it up with the other one, right? But lead with something so that people know you have a conviction and then support it with whatever you have, whether it's data or experience, which just for the record, everybody, your experience is data, right? It's a lot of data. Your experiences are data. That's where everybody gets focus group numbers from, your experiences. So don't think you need to quote you know, a Harvard Business Review article for it. You have a lot of experience and you are that credibility in research. And then number three step of the RX3 is rebuilding. And then go out and practice what you've been learning so that others can give you feedback and you can get that feedback in order to be a better leader, a better colleague, a better partner. Get the feedback, go out and practice, try to rebuild those skills or kind of add on to some that you have in order to get that. That's kind of what we've went through, not only in corporate, but in entrepreneur and in life lessons as well. I love that. It feels like really respectful to ask questions as a way to guide the person to finding their own true answers. You know, this is one thing that I have been thinking about a lot is the different perspectives are and the assumption that has been in our culture overall is that, you know, this one perspective knows what's best, right? And if you belong to that group, then you know what's best. And in my journey, it has been a deconstruction of that. Because I've realized even early on in my own experience, I had a boyfriend who was African-American and when I was in um, beginning of high school and I found out real fast that it, racism was alive. You know, I didn't know that it was until that happened. And I was like, whoa, look at this. You until know? you tested it, right? Until yeah. you tested it and put it out there. Yep. I poked the bear and I found out. I was like, whoa, there's like a lot of racism going on in this town. And oh my goodness. I started listening to this boy's perspective and I say boy as a young man, he, you know, he was like 14, you know, we were both young children, you know, we thought of ourselves as adults, but we were not adults. And he was like, you know, he, I was like, why do you act the way you act? Because it seems like aggressive or it seems confrontational, or it seems like you're poking, you know, you're poking at things. And he's like, cause it's not fair the way I'm being treated. I shouldn't have to be treated this way. I shouldn't have to let people call me names all the time. I shouldn't have to be, you know, poked at and, and accosted all the time just because I have black skin. So I poke at it because I shouldn't have to be treated that way. And I'm defending myself. And I was like, wow, that is a whole perspective I didn't have before because I didn't know that anybody was being accosted regularly. I was completely oblivious to it. I had no idea that there were people that were actually going out of their way to provoke this guy, innocent, whatever, unaware. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people are innocent and unaware when you're in the dominant cast, as they like to say, Mm -hmm. you're unaware of it. And, but you were flung right into the heart of a system where you got to be very well aware of the other perspective, you know, the perspective of people of that were of color What were some key things that you realized in that journey as a young person? You know, Carrie, like I say, when you're in it at that moment, you don't think of it as a lesson. But when you are 
you know, more mature and you reflect on it, you do. And we often, I mean, we have reunions for our whole school almost every other year. So I'm in touch with a lot of my friends from grade school. And we talk about this a lot. And one of the things that I realized is that when you begin being curious and start to ask, you really just want to be a part of the community. So I wanted to wear my hair like all the other young girls in the class, right? And my mother, of course, would be crying at home because, you know, I have curly, half, you know, Italian, half Irish hair, and it was very thick and it was all, you know, put into braids and, and just not for what my hair was meant for. It's twisted up and it was very tangled. And she was like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I want to look like everybody else. I want to wear my hair like everybody else. And on the flip side, also, my young, you know, uh, colleagues in grade school were also wanting to braid my hair or touch my hair as well, and to learn more about the culture and my upbringing. And what we realized at the end of the day is, yes, we have differences, and I appreciate the differences, and that's what we learned to do is appreciate it, but also to kind of go deeper than just the surface, you know, go deeper. And I'll use hair as an example. Because it is so empowering, and I know for African American women, and no, do I speak for all of them? I'm speaking for the ones I know, and they shared that with me. You know, it's so powerful their hair, and not just learning when we were swimming together, and they would say, "I don't want to get my hair wet, Mary," and I'm like, "Why?" Because I'm getting my hair wet, and then they would walk me through the process that it would take in order to bring their hair back to the original state they wanted it in, and I'm like, "Oh my God, who has four or five hours for all of this?" I agree. I just wash my hair and run outside and it looks great, you know, according to, quote, my white hair standard. So just really understanding and asking the why like you did is, I believe, the first step for all of us, for all of us. So many don't have that privilege of being raised in a diverse neighborhood or going to a diverse school. So you know what you know, but you do and can take that step to be curious and ask. Now, you don't want to, of course, go to everybody that you don't know and start asking questions that are very personal. I think you have to cultivate those relationships and that trust. But what I also learned is that people are taught hate, right? I don't think there is one child that grows up in this world hateful. I just don't believe that at all. We are taught hate. And I could see that hate being taught by parents of other schools when we would go to our volleyball matches and they would scream the N-word and they would, you know, throw out racial slurs and just any kind of slur at us, myself included, mostly directed at the African-American kids. I mean, these were grown-ass adults saying these words and this just hatred, violence coming from them. And I thought, oh my gosh, what is wrong with you that you would do this, that you would treat a child like that or a race like that or a human being like that? So I learned that quickly. And that gave me a lot of distrust. And with that distrust in a lot of adults also came though some learning, right? Is that I can't also put every, you know, white parent from the suburb in the category and judge them as racist, just like they shouldn't put every young black child in a category and judge them anyway as well. So you learn quickly that it's not a both sides thing. I'm, I'm not into that. What I did learn though was to ask more about why are you so hateful? You know, why are you saying these words? Why? And I had that privilege as the white kid, you know, in the group to turn around and be able to say that, right? To be able to say, why are you doing this? And of course, I never got an answer that was valid. But what I did learn was to not be afraid to ask those questions. And I took that into the boardroom, right? I took that into my career when decisions were being made. I took that strength and conviction of knowing that 
it is okay to ask questions and it is okay to challenge what you're hearing and seeing. All of us can do that, but not even us could do it. Those of us that have that privilege need to do. We need to do it more and we need to do it on behalf of others. And Carrie, that's what that taught me was, look, I'm, you know, yes, I may be the only woman in the boardroom, but I'm also the majority on the white side, right, of the boardroom. So there's that uh, order in there. And I knew I was still higher than most of the underrepresented groups. So I still felt that I had a privilege in order to use that, that I could be that. A lot of times, of course, I would work on different initiatives or different resource groups. And, you know, the executives in the company would soon find out about my background and knowledge. And they would ask me, Mary, can you tell us more? And I would say, I'm happy to, but why don't you create a group of the individuals themselves to tell you more? Why do you need me in there as a translator? I mean, I'll help you, but you need to go right to the source. Because again, my own information will be filtered. So again, using that privilege, using that curiosity, Carrie, that's definitely something I think uh, that that experience taught me. You know, my experience, I appreciate everything you just said, because it just, it reveals and everything you're saying reveals that you are a person that has been deeply in the conversation of diversity and and equity. The fact that, you know, there's a color ladder that you, you're like, there's a color ladder. There's also a sex ladder and there it is. And you're not trying to deny it. I think a lot of people get frustrated in this conversation. People of color gets frustrated because there are a lot of white women, particularly who will deny that there's a color ladder or or that there is a sex ladder. And it's like, do you not see it? Or you just don't want to ask into it because it's like the moment I've realized for myself that the moment that I stepped away and I started dating the, the African-American kid and I became the outsider. I became the one mm-hmm. that was challenging the system. I be, Because yeah. I had guys come up to me, these white guys and say, you're too pretty to be dating that black guy. I'm like, is there like a, a rule around if you're a really pretty white girl, you can't date a black guy? What, where does that come from? I don't understand that. Where, where is that rule? Deep-rooted racism. Yeah. Yeah. Where's that rule ri- written? Yeah. I don't get that. And so I found out there was all these rules, unspoken rules that everyone just seemed to know, but I was clueless about them. And I was like, where did that rule come from? I don't understand. Yet, if you turn around and ask the same people about these rules, they're like, oh, I don't know anything about that. It's, yes, actually you do. Because if you had to say what the rules were, you could probably say what they were, right? So I, you know, it's just like, you just know it. And so how can we change it if people won't, get in the spot of actually admitting it's there? How do we do that? Well, there's many ways that you challenge yourself, right? I mean, there's many ways. I I am a huge fan of saying, look, there is that machine out there called the Google machine, right? And people can Google information to educate themselves. There's a lot of information we could do to become and learn more about another culture or race or gender or anything. We can find that and do a lot of research. And that's, again, I go back to the reflect on what you want to know, research it, and then rebuild your own skills. That goes for many things. And it goes for learning about another culture, learning about your biases. There's many great books about bias out there, unconscious bias as well. I never, ever hold myself out to not have any of that. I have tons of bias. I have tons of bias about, I, I think I look at someone and I'll certainly make a prejudgment. But what I have added to that is, to step back and be aware of it and to right? say, okay, I know that I'm going to judge them because they were late. They were five minutes late. So I'm going to judge that person based on blah, blah, blah. My experience of not liking people being late. Give a moment, find out 
why the person is late. What could you do to help that person not be late again and not be so judgmental that just because we have certain preferences that we like, that those are the best preferences? That's the first thing I think we can do is to reflect on that and research and learn more about. I know when I was at uh, the Vanguard Financial Group, a lot of information, we were trying to bring in different resource groups to help with diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging. And I was leading a lot of efforts on that. And one gentleman said to me, well, what about the white male? What's our day? And I was like, well, you kind of mean the other 360 days of the year? (laughs) You know, is that what you're asking me? But yes, I said that too. But then I said, look, I get it. You're feeling a little bit, you know, put out. You're feeling all of these things. So I'm going to give you some space to tell me how you're feeling and to tell me whether I agree with it or not, whether I think you're just exaggerating. Who cares? Give them the space to talk. Give them the space to share their feelings. And then after I provided that, I said, okay, now let's go into what we're going to do. How can we solve it? Asking them for solutions, right? The typical coaching methodology, asking the individual for solutions, guiding them, but asking them for input, giving a lot of what if scenarios. Well, what if you did that? How do you think so-and-so will feel? How do you think other groups will feel? If you did this, how do you think the outcome could be? And then getting them to come to that conclusion. So I think a lot of times, if you give people the space to express how they're feeling, whether you agree with it or not, and then help them research and rebuild on what the better behavior could be to be more inclusive, I think that can help bring people along. So that's what I would say for anything, whether I'm learning a language, whether I'm learning a new sport or a new skill, is to be curious, but also do some research and acknowledge, like you said at the beginning, your own right reflection on who you are and what you want, your interests, and then start that rebuilding process. And don't put it all on the other person to do that for you. Do your own research yourself. And then I think if you come to the table, Carrie was saying, hey, I've been reading X book. You know, I was reading the one by Anita Hill and Believing by Anita Hill. And because I was reliving that time when I was watching those first Congress hearings, you know, with Anita Hill and Clarence Thomas. And then she came out with this book, Believing and Reading It Again. And I'm like, my God, you know, what she went through and how I probably didn't have as much sympathy for her as I should have. I believed her, but I didn't have sympathy for her. And I think, again, what we can do as women of privilege, men of privilege, whatever, a person of privilege is to read, learn, and be able to also change our minds. Yeah, and make and educate ourselves, you know, which means right. dedicating some yourself. of your time to to reading these resources, like Cast by Isabel Wilkerson. It's an excellent it's a great book. book. Great book. It is yes. well researched. It she has mm-hmm. substantiated all of her points she's making. Right. It's an excellent resource, you know. And there's resources like that that you can pick up and 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 read or listen on Audible, you know. And they're they exactly. are triggering. Let's just say they're yeah. triggering. Yeah, that's right. Oh yeah, <laughs> and you know another thing, Carrie is. The point when you're saying, how can we learn is I've often said to individuals, look, if you want to practice, especially men, right? Again, in the financial services industry, they're like, hey, Mary, I have a young lady. She, I've, I believe she's wearing inappropriate clothing. I don't know how to approach the conversation. Can you help me? Can you help me with how I can do it? And I said, yeah, I, I'll help you coach you through it. You're going to have the conversation yourself because you're a leader and you need to be able to have that conversation. But I'm happy to help you. I'm happy to have you practice and make a mistake if you want on me. So that when you go to her to have that conversation, that it can be professional and 
you know, help to find a solution, right? And it won't come off and no one's going to get sued and no one's going to feel defensive, you know, but you can have that conversation. And I think that's what we should all do. These conversations are going to be uncomfortable. And I think that that's okay. We have to learn that. So what? You're going to be uncomfortable. Yeah. And that could be a hot button, right? Like, because a lot of women are just now beginning to say, why do I have to dress like this? Why do I have to and, exactly. you know, I know that women of color have been saying this for, for decades. Why do I have to wear my hair a certain way? Why can't right. I just have my hair the way I want it to be? And, you know, as white people have been catching up, like, can we, uh, why can't I wear my hair this color if I feel like it? And what, you know, so we're, exactly. we're all learning from each other. Right. And I, I think the goal is that we all want to be respected and we all want freedom. And so how can we all be respected and all have freedom to be exactly who we are. That's really the ultimate question you're asking, isn't it? It is, Carrie. And I think that has to happen because that has to be given space by the corporate entity or the governing body, wherever that may be. If they at the top do not provide that safe space, you can talk all day long. You read what's going on. You know, a lot of black women that were hired for many DEI positions are now being let go after a year and a half. There was not an investment in them, and it wasn't from the top. It was a tokenism hiring, and they know it, and we all know it now. We see that play out. Whenever you have these initiatives or you say, I want to create this type of welcoming environment, whether it's your personal home, whether it's your community, wherever it is, if it doesn't start with you or the governing body, it doesn't matter. You can have all the great people you want on your staff. It has to start with that leadership. And I think that's where we have to come and play, whether if we're employing people, if we're leading initiatives, it has to be seen from us. And, and I think that's where that can start. Start with the top and then, yes, have the experts come in, but give them that authority in order to make decisions that can make us uncomfortable. But you have to give them the authority and back them up. Yeah. And I think it's really tempting if you're a person in this work to begin with or in women's rights or in the rights of people of color or or other groups, you can start to feel, I know for I'll speak for myself, I can start to feel frustrated with people who are status quo people, you know, who are like, I don't want to shake the boat. Everyone's uncomfortable with this. So I don't want to have the conversation you know, we did it for a little while, but it's it's ruining our business or, mm-hmm. you know, it's not working out and nobody's engaging. So it's not really working. And so we're just going to like pull the plug on that because it's uncomfortable and we want to go back to like gaslighting everybody. And that does not build relationships. That does not build trust. It does not build community. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't encourage anyone to speak out and speak up the truth that's going on inside their world. And I think almost like a lot of these corporate entities, they don't want the truth, right? I mean, they want to keep doing what they're doing, even though it's it's like damaging the environment and, and it's profits over people. Right. And even when you yourself show them, carry the data, because, right, you think these corporations, they love data. Well, here you go. You show them the data, how they're polluting or destroying something or, or not hiring the best candidates. All the data you can show them and they still choose to not be inclusive to not make improvements, to not correct bad behavior, whether it's for the environment or for other individuals, then that's when I think we have to activate and say, okay, we're not going to do business or we're going to do this or we're going to do that or we're not going to send our good people there. We're going to right cultivate our talent, help them interviews and send them to the companies that are living their truth, that are backing up what they say. 
it is not easy to make these cultural changes and shifts in companies, especially, especially if you've been right designed and created by middle-aged white men. Then all of a sudden you're asking for this major change that they themselves maybe aren't equipped for. But the good companies are doing it. And they do say, hey, I don't have that expertise. I'm going to bring it in. I'm going to support it. Yes, we may have a dip, but we know we're going to rise. And we know that because all the data shows companies with diversity on their boardrooms have better financial results. Companies with diversity in their employees have better financial results. All of this is data. Google puts out a uh, workshop called I Am Remarkable, and I'm one of their platinum facilitators for that. Uh, workshop. And in that workshop, I am remarkable that Google out tons of data supporting that, stating that and, and data from McKinsey, data from Harvard Business, data from everywhere, showing that when you have diversity of thought, diversity of color, diversity of, of religion or faith, whatever you believe in, diversity of backgrounds, right? Are you from the city? Are you from the suburbs? Are you from Georgia? Are you from New York? When you just have diversity, then you have better thoughts, better opinions, and better outcomes. I mean, it's a fact. So if companies are going to look at the facts and still ignore it, I don't know, I say, is that a company you really want to do business with? Is that a company you want to hire from? Is that a company you want to send talent to? I don't think so. Yeah. So what you're saying is basically, you know, there's going to be dinosaurs. Yeah. Right? And you're you're not going to change the dinosaur. You know, you're not going to... Suddenly make the dinosaur into, a, you know, the newest creature on the planet. <laughs> it's not exactly. going to happen. It's true. I mean, you can educate and you can inform and you can hope for the best and you have to keep doing it. It's not a one and done. I mean, these beliefs that we all hold, usually our beliefs aren't just from last week's, right, newspaper or online, you know, social media content. It's years and years of programming you and I were talking about. It's from years of programming. So it's going to take years to deprogram or it's going to take years to rebuild a new belief or uh, add another belief to your system. So yes, we have to have some patience, but I also like that young man you were dating because he said, no, I got to fight back. I have to speak up louder. I have to raise my voice. And I think that's what we can do as well on behalf of others. Yeah. And it, and I think that some of the characteristics of the old model where it was white patriarchy. And if you were in the dominant caste, you could pretty much just go about your business without having to yeah. be concerned about anybody else, right? Yeah, Except yourself. Average. Very, yeah. very me-centered. Yeah? yeah. The new paradigm is really diversity of opinion and perspective, which means if you have a conversation, you've got to resolve it, it's going to take more time. And because the perspectives are going to be very different across the board, and so you're, you know, the new whole new set of skills, right? So what are some of those skills, whole new set of skill, skills in the new company? What are those skills? I'm glad you asked that because uh, actually tomorrow I have a facilitating with ease workshop I'm leading. And in there, I talk about that very skill and that it's how you facilitate or how you bring in ideas and opinions. And you do that by, yes, at first it might take a little more time. I agree. It's going to take time because maybe before individual would walk in and say, here's what we're going to do. Now everybody go execute. That doesn't take that much time. But if you go into a room and you say, oh, here is the result we're kind of looking for in this ballpark. Love to hear your ideas. And you give space for everybody to have an idea or to build on each other's ideas. That's going to take longer at first. But you are going to have execution because 
you thought through ideas, you heard from everybody's opinion, you probably won't have a lot of dissension because you heard from everybody and you got that out in the strategic right discussion up front when you were facilitating that thought process and ideation session, and it will take less time on the execution. So it's not overall more time you're spending, it's how you're shifting that time spent in, let's say, an hour, right? Instead of 40 minutes on execution and only 20 minutes on ideation, you spend maybe 40 on ideation, then there's only 20 needed on execution because you have a well-thought-out plan. But that not only, it takes you, carry where it takes you from is maybe a good idea to a great idea. That's the difference. And that's what we're all looking for is, yeah, I can come up with a good idea for almost anything, a decent idea, but I'm not going to come up with a great idea unless I get everybody else's thoughts. And I'm certainly not going to come up with a long-lasting idea unless I hear from others. That's I love definitely that. a skill that I would say, yeah. Yeah, it, it really resonates. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, just as a, I have a long-term vision, and as a long-term vision kind of person, I see this as the next stage for people to learn how to work together, for all of us to learn how to hear each other and work together to come up with better solutions that work for everyone. And then after that will be, okay, now how can we create better solutions that work for future generations, not just ourselves in this five-minute window or this year's profits, but how can we make decisions that benefit the planet to come? You know, and and in order to get to that conversation, we got to move through this conversation first, because if we don't have this skill, there's no way we can get to the next skill, right? So it's a sequence of skills, isn't it? It is, Carrie. And I mean, there's some practical ones. I mean, first of all, listening, right? We talk about that. Listen, listen, listen. Ask the questions and listen. Don't go in with your answer already formulated and listening to each person in order to prove your point. Listen with that true open mind, right? That fourth level they call of active listening with no prejudgment going on. Just, you know, take it to that calm space and just focus on what they're saying. There's also fun techniques called the post-it technique. I'm sure most people have used that one where you give everybody a stack of post-its and you're brainstorming and you ask them just to throw every idea up there and you have their uh, different color post-its for each person or each group or a table. And then you throw everything up on the board and then you start looking at things that are complementary to each other, things that are um, different and you start pulling them all together into ways where you could pull these great ideas into one. And so try, or maybe even to try a couple of them, right? Your test group, your hypothesis group and see what comes out of it. But it's about getting all the information out it's not just only hearing from people of different races or backgrounds or genders, but it's also we have the introverts and the extroverts, right? You go into any meeting, those, us extroverts are just going to dominate everything if you don't shut us up, right? If you don't put a timeout on us and say, hey, wait a minute, you know, three minutes per person, we want to give everybody a chance to talk. There's all sorts of techniques, but you have to be very intentional in order to get all this information. And that's what I talk about in the facilitating whether you're facilitating a one-hour meeting or an all-day workshop, it is a job to make sure everybody is heard. And not everybody wants to be heard vocally. Some people want to use the chat room on Zoom. Some people would rather send you a memo. I don't care. Just communicate with me and share with me what you're thinking. Because I believe if you've hired a person, if you've promoted an individual, if you've put them on a team for your entrepreneurial role, there's a reason. And the reason is you probably thought they had something to add of value. So why not take the time to listen to it? Yeah, I love that. It resonates for me. I talk a lot about the talking stick share yes, of indigenous yes. 
practices, because I think that is so powerful, you know, that these indigenous communities around the world, I know in the United States for sure, had the talking stick. So yeah, everybody gets past the talking stick and then they get to share their perspective. And while someone's sharing, you're listening. And then when it's your turn, you share and everybody else listens. And then somehow mysteriously, they all come to a conclusion at the end. And I guess that's different by community, but it just feels like at least everyone's been heard and their perspective is incorporated somehow. And, you know, we'll probably find out that our perspectives fit together in some kind of Venn diagram, you know, like there's some common center that we can all agree with if we all got a chance to voice it and come together, you know? Exactly right. And leave our biases at the door. And the only way you can do that is to be aware of them. And that's self-reflection. If you don't even know what your biases are, you don't see them coming, right? You don't see them in that you can't stop them if you aren't aware of them. Or now you put that responsibility on someone else to tell you. And therefore, that's where that friction and confrontation comes. Because you weren't self-aware enough to handle it yourself. You put that on someone else to tell you. And then now there's that, you know, friction. So I say if each of us takes the time to really understand our biases, then that way we, we see them happening, right? We can see them coming. We can hear ourselves in the words we choose. And then we're like, oh, okay, I better take that back a step. I'm starting to, you know, to bring that forward that I, I know I shouldn't. Or, hey, maybe let me take a step back. I think I've been talking 80% of the time <laughs> instead of listening. And I need to flip that, right? I'm in a coaching session. I should be talking less and listening more. But if you don't even know what those biases are, how do, how do you stop them, right? And you got to be willing for people to let you know when you're in one of those biases, right? I mean, yeah, that's, that's, right. that's, that's right. part of, you know, deconditioning this system that we've all been in. And I know that, I, you know, one thing I think I do want to contribute here is that a lot of the people of color that I've worked with on this conversation of diversity and inclusion have said, listen, we've all been conditioned by the same system. It doesn't matter what skin you're in. So we're all deconditioning ourselves. Yep. So let's see ourselves as on the same team, deconditioning ourselves from the paradigm, you know, instead of like That's opposing right. forces or someone's fault. It's like, no, we've all been conditioned by the same thing. So let's just wake up and be on the same team and, de- and decondition it. I love it. That's exactly right. I say that during COVID. I said, well, we're all going through COVID together. We have different boats, but we're all in the same storm. So, you know, let's just understand that and know that why can't we help follow, find a solution for all of us? I love your your analogy so much better, Carrie. <laughs> Yeah. And there's also, you know, there's so much to this conversation, but a lot of it has to also do with being willing to be wrong, being willing to be surprised at how wonderful it can be when you have a group consensus or a group. I, you know, I mean, there's new ways of of doing things that are opening up for us and companies that are saying yes. And people that are saying yes to this are experiencing, you know, the fun of that, you know, that it's fun to come together and do it as a community. It's fun to come together and listen to different people's ideas and, and come together to create something new. That's fun. And if you're stuck in the old ways, you think that's threatening, but only because your ego is like really afraid of being, you know, wrong or challenged or obsolete. But honestly, if you stick with the old way, you are obsolete. (laughs) That's what's happening. So we're in the process of obsoleting all that. You know, think of it like the pie. You know, I took this one course and we were talking about strategic negotiation. Of course, the theory came out. It's not about there's only eight pieces in the pie. And if I give you a piece, I have left. That is that mentality that so many individuals have and they feel threatened because someone else is getting something you have less. That's because you've always been programmed to think there's only eight pieces in the pie. 
Whereas I think you, myself, and many others out here are saying, no, we're going to build more pies, right? Our pies are going to have 25 pieces or I've got four pies and you can still have the same amount of pie you had before. I'm just getting to eat as well. That's all. I'm getting my piece of the pie. And that's all I think individuals are asking is not to give me yours as much as saying, just give me something that's out there. There is this, you know, there's no limit on our beautiful resources. Well, there are on our country resources. I totally agree on our environmental resources, but there's no limit on the resources you and I have to give of our time, our treasure and our talent to others. And we're saying it's just let everybody have access to that. Yeah, I saw something recently. I don't know if it was just Texas. I, you know, because I don't like to watch the news and all that, but I do hear whiffs of things from my mother because she's very much immersed in it. And some, some I don't know if it was the Supreme Court or Texas, because I live in Texas, was like uh, destroying some affirmative action programs, right? And like they're saying, oh, the well, we want, we want the, the most, court. we want the most qualified person. And for a second, I got angry, and then I thought, huh, I see the bigger, longer term play of this. Mm-hmm. Is that? People who are going to be the new minority is going to be people, people who are white, honestly, you know, it's going to be the Mm -hmm. new minority. And then they're going to be squawking that they're not getting, you know, their affirmative action. (laughs) Well, you're just giving it up now. So, uh, yeah, I guess you better like bust your ass and be better than the competition. Right. I mean, you've got to keep up. So I think that they're just kind of, (laughs) I can see a place where that's going to come back and bite people in the ass that, that are doing this stuff, not realizing that it's biting them in the ass. So you know, I, it's a, it's a, I mean, when I heard that ruling, I mean, that was so disappointing. It but is. it's also, I think, because of the ignorance of many, and I say ignorance as in lack of knowledge, right? It's the lack of knowledge that individuals have over even what affirmative action is and how it has been utilized. And many of these schools don't even use it anymore and haven't used it for over a decade. And you and I, as white women, have been the best benefactors of affirmative action. But again, it goes back to that pie. It goes back to people feeling, oh, if I make space for one group, that's less for me. Well, you could actually have more spaces if you choose so. So it's not about letting those that are underqualified in. It's saying, we do know that there is a unlevel playing field to begin with, right? And I think that's the point that, no, I don't think everybody agrees on that. And that's part of that ignorance that people believe, oh, we all have the same opportunity and we know we don't. So if you don't even start with the basis of facts of we do not all have the same opportunities in order to have a level playing field when it comes to acceptance into whatever it is, jobs, housing, universities, then that makes that uneven playing field and affirmative action was created in order to level some of it out. We're talking four and five percent. That's what we are talking about. So It's more about saying, if we had this level playing field to the beginning, which I think everybody would like to have, we would all want to have a level playing field. Again, other than the race individuals, we all would like to have a level playing field, but we aren't there. So until we get there, we need programs like affirmative action. That's my belief. And I think that's the one that affirmative action also helped. And unfortunately, that was uh, struck down, but we're going to keep fighting because it's just wrong. Well, it's just a matter of being a conscious individual and choosing to make a diverse environment in your company, you know, and choosing to do that. I I had um, 
somebody close to me was talking about a business they had started and they were like, they were started, they were all just kind of in the flow and started the business. And then they looked around at themselves and they said, we're all white men. Uh Oh, what do we just do? And, you know, that was an awkward moment of recognition. Like we just self-selected all white men for our group. Uh, We might want to diversify that. And how do we go about doing that in a way that's authentic, that's That's genuine, that's real, that's from the heart, that is respectful. And I liked that they were having that conversation and it was uncomfortable listening to them because I was like, ew. But they did. At least they they had the conversation. You know, Right. They had the courage to say it and to do something about it. You know, I listened to this one author and I can't remember her name, so I apologize, but she was talking about companies using the referral program. You know, I was in the financial industry. And so we have a huge referral programs throughout the financial industry. If you refer family or friend, you can get, you know, $3,000, $4,000 for that referral. Well, we should then know what that breeds, right? Most people have friends of their same color or gender. So you have starting with this male, uh, white dominated club referring each other. So we weren't getting a lot of diversity in the financial industry. And I'm glad that when she spoke about that, she really challenged that and said, you have to think differently how you're recruiting. You have to think differently how you are uh, handling your referral programs because what you're doing is just getting some of the same. Yeah. And it has a conscious choice and it is uncomfortable leaning into that because it's a little inauthentic to begin with. And then when you realize it's not authentic for you to have a diverse friendship circle, you're like, oh. That is so icky. Black friend, of course not. And but what it does say to individuals is be intentional on your networking group. Yes, reach out to people of color, invite them into your networking group, but not so you can say I have two percent or ten percent, but so you can get to know them and see how you can help them. So you can expand your mindset and your perspective. That's That's the reason it's not to get my quotas. Exactly. And then people <laughs> trust you and yeah. then you can know you're doing well, right? You know, you're doing it for good. Well, there's a lot of nuances to this conversation as we've explored in this conversation right here. And I I love the how you're in it, you know, because I've had these conversations multiple places now and you're like, oh yeah, I got that one. Oh, I know what that is. Oh, this is it. And it is, it's kind of like that. You have to kind of know the the terrain of this conversation and all the ways that the ego manifests like, oh, I'm not doing that. Because it's like a, it's a matrix we're dissolving here and it has many arms. <laughs> so yeah, thank you for doing the work that you're doing on that. I really um, honor you for committing yourself to that work and and all the work that you do to uplift women and and uplift people who um, you know haven't had their voices heard as often as they should be or as loudly as they should. And so thank you for doing what, um, what you're doing. Is there anything that you'd like to direct people to for, a, you know, just to get to know you better besides your podcast, sure. obviously your podcast. Yeah. Well, thank you, Carrie. And it has been such a pleasure. Every time I talk with you, I learn something new as well. I guess we'd love for them to come over to speakbefearless.com, join our mailing list. We have a wonderful newsletter where we showcase a lot of different individuals and how they're moving up in their career and what they did in order to move up in their career. It's free. And it's just a lot of great, you were saying, uplifting others and showcasing their talent. Maybe they don't get to be seen and heard as much, as well as the podcast. We love that. Check out our website. Just peruse around there and see what you find. We have courses and a membership and all those other things. But we also have many, many free resources that you can download and just uh, help yourself to. We would love for you to do that. 
Beautiful. Sounds great. Community. We need community, everybody. That sounds yeah. awesome. Well, that sounds great. Everybody can head over there, Sweep or Fearless, and check it out. And please like, subscribe, comment, share this episode out with anybody you know who would be interested in this medicine and this really powerful work. I'll put a link to uh, my interview on Sweet and Fearless. You can go check out my, my podcast with Mary. And because um, we had a great conversation over there too. Oh, yes, we did. Yes, we did. <laughs> great. So yeah, come and do this. Everybody get powerful, stay sweet. You can, you can be sweet and be powerful at the same time. You don't have to be, you know, the most aggressive, assertive, loudest person in the room. You can be sweet and fearless and be heard. And I hope that you check out her podcast to find that out. And here come your kisses, everybody. Would you like to join me, Mary? I always give kisses at the end. Here they come, everybody. Kisses. I love it. <laughs> and we'll see you next time on Soul Nectar Show. Bye for now, everyone. If you found even one gold nugget in this episode of Soul Nectar Show, will you do us a favor? Will you subscribe, like, and share this episode? Maybe even write a comment and let us know what you thought about it. We really, really want to engage with you at a much deeper level. Let's be part of community together. Have a great week, everyone. Bye for now. To dive in deeper to nourishing conversation, visit soulnectar.show.